When 2020 began, nobody could have predicted what was about to happen. But here we are. Here we are in living rooms and in kitchens and patios and on hillsides and highways, all over Virginia, all over the United States and even the world. Here we are, reaching more people than ever before, living out our purposes to know God and to discover purpose and to get real and to make a difference and to be the change. We're seeing old relationships deepen and new ones begin through online groups that pray and support and study and even sing together. We're seeing people engage and give and share like never before. We're helping people like never before. And we're seeing people connect with our church who have never gone to church before. We pushed hard to make online church an engaging, meaningful experience for families to connect with God and with each other. Nobody could have predicted a pandemic, but the power of God cannot be confined. So here we are. Your church is thriving and we're still focused on the mission that God gave us 18 years ago to reach people who don't go to church so that we can all experience the fullest lives possible through Jesus Christ. So whether you're with us online today or in one of our physical locations, here we are together. Get ready to experience the presence of God. Get ready to worship like never before. Get ready because no matter what is going on in the world around us, we trust in the one who knew all along where we'd be right now. So come with us and let's turn our attention to him right now. Welcome to church. Well, hello from PCC to you wherever you are today. I'm so glad that you are joining us. You're gonna see some familiar faces representing several of our campuses for this unique online experience that is designed just for you. We're gonna sing a couple of songs and we hope that you might sing along and engage with God through the music and through the lyrics. Pastors Mark Tapscott, Angie Frame, and Brian Hughes are all with us today. And our Wait What series will continue with a message from Pastor Jeremy Ford. You know, I believe that no matter where you might be right now, we are together, focused on God, celebrating who he is. So, welcome to church.
it is true. The Bible tells us that God loved the world so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to save us. Believing in Jesus and following him means that we have accepted this gift of freedom forever. And it also means that right now, today, we can find joy in knowing that we are children of God, that a real life of purpose is found in the truth, that we are chosen and loved by the God who created us. We are who He says we are, and we celebrate that today. Let's sing this together. Who am I that the highest would welcome? I was lost, but He brought me
blessings flow. If you happened to grow up in a church or have experience in a more traditional church, that was probably very familiar for you. Many people know it as the doxology. It's just a Greek word that means an expression of praise to God. And that's exactly what we're doing right now. Thanks for being with us. I am Angie Frame, our Midlothian campus pastor. And I'm Brian Hughes. I'm the senior pastor here. And we wanna welcome you to church today. As we find our way through this really challenging season, one we initially thought would last a couple of weeks and, and now realize that it's gonna last much longer, we can still connect with God. We can still connect with each other through being a part of our church. In fact, all of our campuses are continuing to see new folks come to church on Sunday to join small groups to connect with us right here online. If you're new to PCC, we would love to know that you're here. You can fill out the welcome card on our app or at pccwired.net. And if you're in our chat room right now, the links are there for you. And one of the best ways to find out more about PCC and to explore your next step is through our growth track and it starts this week. See, regardless of your circumstances, please know this, God has a bigger plan for your life. You can begin to unveil that plan as we learn more about our church through growth track. So our next session starts today at 4.30 and it's online so you can participate from wherever you are. Just text GROW2020 to 94000 to sign up. Every week here, we try to highlight one or some of the things that PCC does to help people. This is part of worship. As we celebrate the truth that God is still working and that your church still matters. Today, I wanna to tell you about something that we rarely discuss. In fact, I don't know if we've ever talked about it before, but it's a critical part of how we care for people. And we've come to know it as pastor on call. 
See, every weekday as our offices close down and our team goes home to their families, we don't completely close. Our pastors here serve on a rotation so that if someone calls after hours in a real and genuine crisis, they can get a response. They can get one quickly from a pastor who can help them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, this is not for casual conversation or things that are not bona fide emergencies, but it is there. A critical lifeline for people in crisis. So Angie, I was hoping that you could tell us about one of those times. Okay, um, this summer I was pastor on call one weekend. I received a phone call on a Friday, so our office is closed that day. And it was a woman named Amber, a mom of two, calling here from Georgia. She was desperate. She dropped off her kids at the Boys and Girls Club that morning and she was working against the clock. She had until five o'clock when she picked them up to figure out something, anything for her kids for the weekend. See, she'd moved to Georgia for a job. Then COVID happened. She'd been laid off in a new state with no support system and two little kids. Fast forward a few months to when she called here, she was hopeless. They were living in a hotel room. She hadn't eaten anything in days, giving whatever she could find to her kids. And while they were out of earshot, she was working the phones, trying to find help. So she did a Google search for a church and a food pantry. Since we had a temporary one, we popped up, even though we were hundreds of miles away. I really wish she had been closer, that we could have met, that we could have given her food and connected her family with organizations and resources. But I gave her what I could, which was time. I listened to her story. I empathized with her pain. I joined her Google search, looking up churches I knew of in her area, combing through their websites for resources that would be local to her. We prayed together on the phone to the God who can transcend the distance between us, who can work in ways that we cannot. When you give here, you're helping people in ways that you can see, but in many more ways that you cannot. Your gifts to PCC really matter. So if you've not given here before, why not start today? And if you give occasionally, would you consider making a commitment? And for everybody who supports our church, I just wanna thank you. We're equipped to do what we do because of you. So would you pray with me right now? God, we're so grateful so grateful to be here today. So grateful that you've entrusted us with life, but so much more than that. All of us have resources at our disposal and we recognize today, we just pause to remember that everything we've got is a good gift that came from you. And not just a gift for our pleasure, but to be used for your purpose. So God, today, right now, we come and return a portion of what you've entrusted to us so that your kingdom can advance, so that people can be helped, so that your good name can be reflected by your church. Thank you for entrusting us with this privilege. Help make us faithful today. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen.
Let's get started. Please. Our next series is called Wait What? Wait What? I don't get it. It's a series of having a grown up face. Grown ups can drive cars. <laughs> Drink wine. <laughs> <laughs> the next topic is why can't I make all my own rules? If I could make my rules, there will be no naps. I would go anywhere I want. Sleep frog, Target. Paris. I could look at toys for days. If I can make my own rule, I would choose to never clean up the house. I like that. I don't think that's very realistic. I'm really confused about all this. I think we got a lot to learn. Kids love to tell you what they really think, don't they? It's awesome the responses we got to that completely unscripted. Uh, we all got a good laugh out of it. But sometimes kids will tell you what you think to the point of brutal honesty, right? And I think we as adults seem to have a far more difficult time, at least I do, because I would call myself a rule follower, but that isn't exactly true. You see, I'll let you in on a little secret. I don't like rules. For anyone who knows anything about me and my past, the way I live my life, it's painfully clear that rules and me didn't go very well together for a long time. And I'm sure that my rule breaking started at a very early age, but my first real recollection of having broken the rules was in kindergarten. My mom was a smoker. She smoked about a pack of cigarettes a day. And my stepdad at that time smoked cigars, these big, cheap, smelly cigars. My mom had always said that smoking caused cancer and that it was bad for you, but it was kind of hard to believe as a kid when they seemed to enjoy it so much. It's kind of like when your parents would be eating candy and telling you that it tasted horrible so they could keep it all to themselves. Obviously, I was intrigued by their smoking. So I decided to see what all the fuss was about. I grabbed a book of matches out of the kitchen junk drawer and walked outside combing through the sea of half-smoked cigarettes my mom had discarded without a thought on her way into the house. After finding a worthy candidate, I scurried into the bushes on the side of the house and struck a match across the back of the book and began puffing timidly on the who-knows-how-old cigarette butt. Between my fits of coughing, I looked up through watery eyes to see my mom peering down over the top of the bush into my innocent face with a look of shock and disbelief. Before I could say a single word, I was snatched up and hauled inside to face one of the greatest fears of my young life, my stepdad, Jim. See, Jim was a hard man who grew up in an entirely different era. He was a welder and a steel fabricator by trade, and I can't ever remember him saying a single kind word, ever. 
Everything that happened, good or bad, was a lesson to be learned. And he had just the lesson to dole out to me that day. He smiled with a wolfish grin as he sat me down at the dining room table. He grabbed a glass of water, a pack of my mother's cigarettes, and a box of cigars. I smoked a handful of cigarettes, five cigars, and drank about a gallon of water that night. And through the dense cloud of smoke, I could see my stepdad's face, waiting with anticipation for the moment, the moment when I would get sick and he would declare with triumph why smoking was bad and why rules were important. Except that moment never came. As I finished the last cigarette, I took a big gulp of water and swallowed hard. And I looked right at him and asked if he had any more cigars. Don't get me wrong. I wanted to get sick. Lord knows I sure felt sick, but I was determined to win, even at five. Determined to defy the rules before me because I was certain that I knew better than he did. Obviously, this wasn't going the way my stepdad had planned, but he still had one more card to play. And the whooping that followed ensued that I was smoke-free for many years to come. The real question though, is why in the world did I think I was capable of knowing what was best for me, of setting my own rules? I'm not sure I could even spell cancer, let alone understand what it was then. Yet for some reason, I was convinced that I could do better than, I knew better than anyone else when it came to deciding what I did and how I did it. Now, I hope that you weren't smoking in kindergarten. But we've all found ourselves in situations at school, at work, in our homes and in our community. When we felt like we knew better and the rules didn't apply to us. I don't think this has been any more evident than it is in our world today. We're inundated by countless posts and articles and programs telling us what is right and what is wrong, what the rules should be. There are rules about how we should distance ourselves socially from other people and rules about how and where we cover our faces. Rules about what different professions should or shouldn't do, how we should talk to other people and for how long. And somewhere in the midst of all these rules is another set of rules, the set that we defined and set up for ourselves that includes some mismatched combination of all the other rules that we've thrown together and that are solely decided upon by how we as individuals feel about rules in general. And no matter the source, if what we say is right, then everyone else is wrong. We feel like we know better than anyone else what's best for ourselves. And more often than not, we think our rules aren't just good for us, but for others as well. But what are we really basing our decisions on? What sets, of, what sets our boundaries, our rules? Maybe it's our own life experiences or the experiences of those around us. For you, it could be all about the rules of the world. So who gets to make the rules? Whether you're just trying to figure this whole Jesus thing out, whether it's real or not, or you've been a follower of Jesus for decades, the question is the same. 
Why would I let God make the rules for my life? See, this isn't a new question. Imagine Adam and Eve asked the question. Because why in the world would God even put a tree in the garden? A tree with the most beautiful fruit right smack dab in the middle where they have to walk around it all the time. Staring longingly at the one thing they couldn't have. Desiring that which was against the rules without understanding what the rules were designed to do. But we can. We can get insight that Adam and Eve didn't have. The Bible actually gives us a little window to this, a little picture to the question about the rules. It says there is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. Maybe that seems a little strong to you, but I believe it's true. See, we need rules in our lives, not just our own rules. Most of us even thrive with the structure of what to do and not to do around us. But why do we often struggle so much with what God wants? What makes us think for a second that we know better than God? I think the truth is, if we're being honest, we don't. But we convince ourselves that we do so that we can do or get what we want. I don't know how many of you have ever read the book or seen the movie Lord of the Flies. It's a book about a bunch of young boys evacuated from England during World War II. Their plane crashes on a deserted island and they find themselves all alone without a single adult. So they decide to form a list of rules and elect a leader. But they're just kids. They don't really like rules. They definitely don't have an appreciation for them. And everything quickly devolves into them painting their faces and erecting idols and going after each other in some of the most savage and violent ways possible. In the end, they nearly destroyed the entire island with them on it. It's what happens without rules. I think we can all agree that our world is a better place with rules. At least some rules, especially for those of you who have kids at home. So if we can agree that the world is better with rules, now the question is whose rules are more important? Society's rules, traffic rules, rules of engagement, your rules, my rules. See, for 20 years of my life, I had just two rules. Rule number one was I'm always right. And rule number two was if you think I'm wrong, Read rule number one. There are rules everywhere, all the time. Rules about how we drive, rules at the grocery store, rules at the bank that are there for a very good reason. They keep our stuff safe. They keep order. For me, without the knowledge I had of God, I was headed in the wrong direction. I mean, my entire life before God was a resounding affirmation pointing to the truth that I need help figuring this thing out that we call life and faith. But the question still lingered for me, maybe for you too. Why did God find it necessary to have all those rules? And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? 
but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving to you today for your own good. I don't know if you noticed, but this, this was a question, not a statement. What does God want from you and me? To fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience with him, to love him and serve him with your heart and your soul, to observe his commands for your own good. See, God didn't make the rules to keep us down or to stop us from living a full life. And he didn't do it because he's a control freak. It's quite the opposite. He did it for our own good. Because before us, before those human beings came along, God didn't need rules, and I'm sure it was awesome. Then we came along. We didn't listen very well. I still don't. I think he did it not because he wanted to do it, but because he had to in order to protect us from ourselves. So that we could, in fact, experience an infinitely fuller life than any we could create on our own if left to our own devices. It's the same thing we do for our kids, right? God was creating a, a set of guardrails to protect us from ourselves and from others. So if we're honest, we need rules. We need those boundaries so that we know what's okay and what's not okay. These rules that God made were designed for protection, not punishment. They were for navigation, not nuisance. And all you have to do is look around the world today and it becomes painfully clear that we need, God, need God's help in order to behave, in order to treat each other well. Because if everyone loved each other the way God does, the way he calls us to love each other, our world would be a far different place than it is now. So we choose to actively go against God, to live our life in a way that doesn't line up with what we believe he wants, we set ourselves up for failure. The scripture says, how bad will it be for anyone who disputes with the very one who created him? After all, a human being is nothing more than one clay pot among many. When I read this, I kind of had to close my eyes and try to picture this in my head. I have this image of thousands upon thousands of clay pots all over the ground. But of course, you put something that fragile and so many in a place, some don't make it. I see these broken fragments on the ground. And I don't know about you, but I relate to that. I've had far too many times in my life when my own actions and decisions left me feeling like one of those fragments, shattered and ruined, with no hope of ever being whole. And it was my desperate cry to God that began to put the pieces back together again. But what would life look like? What could it really be 
If it wasn't just the cries of desperation, but the continued promise of dedication that God witnessed from you and me. Imagine the clay saying to the potter, what do you think you're doing? You don't have the hands for this. Who are we to tell God that he doesn't know what he's doing? Or that he must have made a mistake? God is the creator of the universe. The one who breathed the world into existence. He doesn't need us. He wants us. And if we're being honest, we desperately need him. We need him to mold us and to shape us, not into the people we want to be, but the people he created us to be. Yet, Lord, you are the father. We are the clay. You are our potter, and we are the work of your hands. See, God made us, you and me. He made us with a purpose. Our pastor Ryan talked about this a few weeks ago. He taught us that God made me to love me and God made me to love him. The problem is we can't fully realize that purpose if we aren't willing to follow the path he sets before us. We can't fully realize that purpose if we aren't willing to follow the path. The key word here is follow. We have to follow him in order to get to the place we've been searching so hard to find. We have to be ready to let God take the lead, but the only way we're gonna know what that is is by having an understanding of who he is calling us to be, what he's calling us to do. So we recognize that God's rules serve a purpose, our purpose, but how do we follow them? See, that's the beauty of it because you've already started. You've taken the first step. You're here, you're coming to church because if we wanna understand God, we have to know God. Let me say that again. If we want to understand God, we have to know God. As a matter of fact, that's why know God is the first of our five purposes. Because if we don't know God, then the rest of this doesn't make sense. We have to be in church learning about and engaging with the true nature of God in order to better understand what that means for our lives, to give us direction. Another critical component to knowing God is by learning all we can about him. There's no better place to start that than right here. Sometimes this is hard. Sometimes it's downright confusing. But it's also revealing and personal. Sometimes when I open the Bible, I feel like I'm reading a love letter written just for me. Other times it's exciting, so exciting I can barely contain myself. I hurried into Pastor Brian's office one morning while I was preparing for this message because I'd seen something in the scripture that I had never seen before. 
It was fresh and it was beautiful and it was new. But all of those things, the beauty, the struggle, the excitement and the confusion, the love and the, well, love. Those things are meant to be shared. That's why we do small groups because this was never meant to be discovered alone. See, the rules were never about do's and don'ts. They were a way to teach us how to and lead us to a place of reliance on God. See, God's an artist. You and I, his prize works. Think about that with me for just a minute. The sunrise, the sun sets, mountain vistas and beautiful beaches, the stars in the sky and a thousand other things that cause us to sit in awe at the marvelous creativity of God. And not one of those things, not a single one, more valued and beautiful than you. See, he wants you and I to know him as intimately as he knows us. The created seeking relationship with the creator. There are nearly 8 billion creations of God on the planet. 8 billion. But he cares enough about me and you to provide a way for us to know him. I mean really know him. Why? A guy came up to me the other night, right? And he was like, who's your favorite artist? And like most people do when they ask a question, he didn't really care about my answer and proceeded to tell me what he thought the true answer was. And he continued about his struggle to recognize who he said was the greatest of all time. He said, I mean, is it Shakespeare? Is it Frost, Picasso, Michelangelo? Is it the Beatles, Rembrandt, Michael Jackson, Beethoven? And he went on and on and on about who he thought was the greatest, not recognizing even his infrastructure to answer that question was misled and outdated. And so finally, I kindly smiled and said, okay, sir, you asked me who is the greatest of all time. Now you tried to share yours, so let me share mine because there's no debate about who is the greatest because all those other artists you mentioned, yeah, the greatest made them. And see this artist, he's a beast, a lion, the name above names, you don't even realize it but you encounter his art every day and he deserves all of the acclaim. He deserves all of the fame because all other artists pass away, but he remains. Oh, by the way, his name is God, Yahweh, creator, your maker. He's infinitely creative, sir. There is no one greater. And, and I can tell it looks like you're starting to get mad at me, but don't be jealous just because your favorite artist might bend words and my favorite artist bends galaxies. See, in the palm of his hand, he holds all the sand, the author of life, when he whispered, let us make man. See, what if I told you that you are God's poetry? You were created because someone else was creative. 
See, long ago he picked up his eternal paintbrush, dipped it in his glory, placed us in his story, and said, they will live for me. And I know it sounds outlandish, but we're not the product of random chances. And in fact, we're not even the vine. We're actually the branches in the same way we're not the artist, we're actually the canvas. Because in an instant, God started to make art shape you uniquely and beautiful individual from the start. And he touched the canvas of flesh and said, this one is better than the rest. I'll give him so much in my image. So even when they're hot off the press, you can still see the steam of my breath. And so he crafted and he made every arm and leg, ligaments, tendons, muscles, blood vessels, veins, arteries. He said, they're gonna have a part of me. And about that time, the guy butted back in and said, that sounds good and all, but I'm wretched and filthy. God won't use me, will he? And I said, ah, see, that's what's awesome about God. No matter what we've done, he can still use us. Even though other artists, once they have broken equipment, they start to make excuses. God instead doesn't refuse us and neither does he accuse us. He redeems us in Jesus, promises never to lose us. So stop saying that you're dirt. Stop saying you're scum of the earth. You ought to be careful about how you talk about someone else's work. Because if we've trusted in Jesus, we can stop saying we're filthy. I mean, all that is anyways is just pride clothed in false humility. I mean, if we only believed that we're truthfully created in his likeness, then we'd stop saying we're wretched, filthy, shameful, guilty, but instead knowing if we've trusted Jesus, we're righteous. I mean, don't you see we're drawn to repentance because of his kindness? So how dare you call yourself worthless when he says you're priceless? But see, the best part is since God is ultimately for God, he'll get glory out of you, whether you like it or not, because even temple ruins point to an architect, even if the temple is shot. And all I'm saying is that he's behind it all. So why do we insist on giving him no credit at all? I mean, he's the one that gave Van Gogh the imagination that changed the face of painting. Tell me who else is responsible for Mozart being able to compose at age five without formal training? See, he made the fingers that Beethoven used to make art on the keys. For Pete's sake, he made Stevie Wonder, one of the best musicians of our time, and he couldn't even see. And that's why in the same way that our lives are borrowed time, this poem is borrowed lines, because the most ridiculous statement we could ever say is that this poem is mine because we're not self-sustaining. No, we're not self-creating. Technically, nothing we do is original. We're just imitating, and that's not a diss. All I'm trying to say is this, even our own creativity is nothing more than an outflow of his. And so I'll end with this. You know that quote about giving credit where credit is due? Well, if that's true, it's about time we give God his rightful credit too, because he's a God in the business of making old things new. And here's the truth. He's not through with making a masterpiece of you. You were created for something more, something greater than you could ever imagine. Is there a cost? Yeah. You have to be willing to suppress your own desires to do what you want, to resist the temptation to make your own rules. You have to be willing to grant control of every aspect of your life to the one who created it in the first place. You don't have to live your life as a fragmented portrait, a shattered effigy, a dark and seemingly ruined canvas pointing towards an existence of no rules, no direction, and no hope. 
because God wants to do something so radical, so profound, and he's calling out to you and me with a promise that the damage that has been done is nothing compared to the restoration he has planned because we are confident that God is able to orchestrate everything to work towards something good and beautiful when we love him and accept his invitation to live according to his plan. We understand his purpose. We want good, but if we say we love, then we have to listen. God is in fact the business of making all things new. And here's the truth. He's not through making a masterpiece of you. God's the artist and the potter. And no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter what rules you've broken, he is not through with you. He's still at work. He's still making all things new. And he intends, God longs for, it is his heart's desire to make a masterpiece out of you. If that's what you want, if you wanna to listen to God, if you wanna hear His voice and become who He's creating you to be, then all you have to do, at least for now, is text to follow to 94,000. To follow to 94,000 and we'll get you started and we'll send you six days of reminders and some scriptures that will help you begin your journey 
of following God every single day. We also have a follow-up video that Pastor Jeremy did that will help you go deeper into this important subject. So here's my prayer. May you experience a rich and deep connection with the Creator who made you this week as we all seek to follow Him. And I hope that you'll come back next week as we continue our series. We'll see you then.